the 947 Breakfast Express on Facebook. 947 Breakfast Express. I don't want to be no green beret. I don't want to be no green beret. They only PT once a day. They only PT once a day. I don't want to be no airborne ranger. I don't want to be no airborne ranger. I want to live a life of danger. I want to live a life of danger. I want to be a SEAL team member. I want to be a SEAL team member. I want to swim the deep blue sea. I want to swim the deep blue sea. I want to live a life of danger. I want to live a life of danger. Pick up your swim fans and run with me. Pick up your swim fans and run with me. Please welcome two Navy SEALs to the studio. Life and Chaco. Thanks for having us. Wow. I, 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 is that a bit too much for you guys? Is that a bit like, hmm, who are these clowns? That was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but those cadence tunes, surely you guys still sing those, don't you? Every day. Right? Just, just uh, walking from here, we're, we're singing cadence and, and running. Running to that. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, that's, that's something that uh, you sing during uh, your basic training. Yeah. Uh, what we call BUDS, basic our demolition seal training. And I just, know all about it. Just I? happens for, uh, <laughs> just, just happens for uh, really a few weeks of that time. So and no, then, no more cadence after that. And then that's it, hey? You, you probably get your ass beat for, uh, for singing cadence. <laughs> Is it? Oh gosh, I've blown it from the first minute, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, welcome to South Africa, man. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Amazing. And, uh, you know, you've come, uh, have you guys ever, like, been here before? But, I mean, like, not to go on holiday in Cape Town. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? You know, First time like, ever. Never been here. Like, is that classified information <laughs> that you've never, but you have maybe been here before? Like, for some operation that you had to do, that, like, you were camping out in somebody's backyard, <laughs> took them, slugged them, Went away. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm actually thinking about planning one right now. <laughs> Jocka, I'm on your side. I'm on your team. <laughs> now, you guys, uh, before we get to the book and why you guys are here, you've had, um, you guys have seen a lot of action. You know, Battle of Ramadi. Uh, is that the same battle with Chris Kyle? American Sniper for the people listening to that movie that Clint Eastwood made about Chris Kyle? It is. It is. Uh, Chris Kyle was our, our lead sniper appoint man in Charlie Batoon. I was a commander of Charlie Batoon. Jocko was our, our commander of, of the task unit uh, in charge of uh, two, two platoons of, of uh, 16 SEALs each. So he was the task unit commander for task unit bruiser. I was Charlie Batoon commander. We served uh, uh, right alongside Chris. was outstanding warrior uh, and uh, an incredible guy. Had, had some massive impact on the battlefield. Uh, and, and if he were here today, he'd tell you, you know, he was just one of, uh, you know, many snipers that we had in our platoon as well as, as the other platoon and, and uh, you know, was just part of a team that was able to do a whole lot of stuff and, and have some impact. And really, that battle was won not by us and not by SEALs, unlike what the movies portray, but by the, the brave soldiers and Marines uh, that, that, that were out there uh, taking that city back from the evil insurgency. Now, I mean, what a way for him to go as well, you know? Do you think he would have, if he had to go by a gun, he would have preferred to have gone on the battlefield than some guy at a shooting range that had a few mental issues? I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, it was a, it was a total travesty to have, you know, here's Chris trying to help out another veteran who was having some issues. 
and the ca- the coward just you know murdered him and it was it was a complete travesty and of course Chris had taken massive risks on the battlefield multiple deployments to Iraq and for him to go out like that yeah it was a it was a heartbreaker by the way you can watch this on our Facebook page you can uh, live stream it right now you're welcome to ask any questions you want 0799035417 on the WhatsApp telephone dial in directly on 0118838947 uh Leif, I know a lot of ladies just <clears throat> are going to be wanting to marry you just from hearing you on the telephone, you know, listening to you on the radio. Do you get a lot of that? Uh, well, I, I didn't realize that I actually had kind of a raspy voice. I, I guess a little too much yelling and screaming over the sound of gunfire uh, back in the day. But they, uh, until Jock and I did some interviews together and, and people started calling me Texas Batman and some crazy stuff like that. <laughs> Whatever. All good. Uh, look, already here it comes. Oh my gosh, this guy's voice is so hot, wacked, so hot. This guy's voice is absolutely amazing. He sounds so sexy. <laughs> sounds gorgeous. Holy smoke, this oak's voice is such a sharp contrast to your voice, Darren. How sexy are these voices right now? Not too sure about the accent, but wow. Batman in the studio. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> do you, I mean, do you guys understand the the high regard that you guys are held in? Or is it all just a little bit too much for you guys? I think it's a little bit too much, yeah. <laughs> to hear you talking about all this, is it's definitely strange for us. I mean, we were just a couple of humble guys in the military that did our time and did our duty. Mm. So it's it's definitely different to have people calling my friend Leif Babin sexy. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we've heard from uh, the other SEALs, Marcus Luttrell, Billy Oldman, that we've interviewed over the years, um, saying where it's not easy to have to be married while you are an active duty SEAL member. And the divorce rate, apparently, you could correct me, but in the SEAL community is the highest out of all the special forces. I don't know if it's the highest out of all special forces, but it's definitely high. It's you know, 80, 85 to 90% divorce rate. There's definitely a high divorce rate. You're gone all the time. You've got put a lot of pressure on your family. You don't know when you're coming back. You can't talk a lot about what you do. And so it's, it's a hard thing to have a relationship when you're doing this job, for sure. Are you guys in relationships? Yeah, I, be, I was actually married the whole time I was in the SEAL teams. Well, 15 out of 20 years in the SEAL teams I was married. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I somehow was able to pull it off. Luckily, my wife was pretty cool about most of the crap I was doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I got married right when I left active duty. Okay. But uh, my, my, my now wife, did she put up with the deployment with me, uh, certainly while, while we were dating. But, uh, yeah, it takes a special kind of lady, certainly. Um, who's uh, who's independent? Could put up with guys guys being gone for a long time, and and uh, can't really tell tell them what you're doing. You know, sure. Uh, you say yeah. you had a good day at work or not a good day at work. That's that's about it. But uh, what's the, okay. uh, the, the 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 worst place you've had to go and uh, do battle when you might have thought mm, I don't know if we're going to get out of here? Definitely Ramadi. You know, Ramadi, yeah. uh, capital of Anbar province in Iraq, uh, back in 2006 when we deployed there. Was the worst place in the world. I mean, the news was calling it an unwinnable fight, and uh, it, it was it was a violent terrorist stronghold. And when we first got there, it was rubble pile buildings and burned out hulks of vehicles, and just uh, you know the smoke in the air is the stench of, of war. Mm. Uh, and and we were 
excited to be there. I mean, there's no place we'd rather be than that in that environment. Uh, and we got to learn some some. Uh, we got to do some amazing things on Battlefield. We learned some, as Jocko said, uh, very humbling lessons that we brought back. You know, and then Jocko and I helped run uh, SEAL leadership training for the next next generation of SEALs based on what we learned on that tough battlefield. And in in Ramadi, um, Al Qaeda was the prominent force. Now with uh, ISIS, that's that's a different uh, story altogether, isn't it? Would Would you love to go back and uh, get involved? With yeah, yeah, to be honest with you, it's not a different story. These are the same savages that were running around torturing people, murdering people, raping people while we were there. They started using the name Islamic State as early as 2007, which is just after we left. But it was the same sick, twisted, and sadistic people. You can barely even call them people. They're subhumans. And yeah, absolutely. We should do everything we can in the world to, to, rid, to rid the world of these these animals for sure i saw a news report yesterday saying that um they've normally they've almost uh, just about won back iraq well they're probably talking about the city of Mosul, where there's been a big battle going on with mm-hmm. the iraqi forces supported by coalition forces namely american forces trying to take back the city of Mosul, which is a big city in northern iraq mm-hmm. and it looks like yeah it looks like they're making great progress and they're going to probably close that up in the next couple months Guys, we've got a question here from Kevin on the telephone. Kev, good morning. Oh, he's gone. Uh, Dave, people are lining up, guys. Um, Dave, good morning. Morning, how's it, man? How's it? Uh, you're on with Leif and Jocko. What's your question? Yeah, yeah how's it, guys? What's going on, Dave? How are you? Uh, not too shabby, not too shabby. You know, nothing, nothing over, overbooking in this country. But anyway, um, I want to ask you a question. <laughs> You guys, um, <clears throat> how do you rate the Navy SEALs against the South African Navy divers and the reconnaissance in South Africa? You know, I, I've, this is Jocko. I've never worked with the with the South African forces. I'm sure they're super professional. There's a long storied history here of the capabilities of the military down here, and I'm sure they're a bunch of badass guys. I've definitely worked with some uh, with some contractors in Iraq and in South Africa that were former, former military guys that did, and, and police that did an amazing job. Those guys were great to work with. Yeah, there's there's a lot of South Africans in in Iraq doing uh, you know private contract work. So you rate our guys outstanding. Sure, that's good. Uh, Brandon, good morning. What's your question? Morning, Tim. Uh, welcome to South Africa, guys. I just wanted to find out, uh, ask you, like, what's life like after Navy SEALs? I mean, you find out and you hear so many people battling to adjust into normal society. Like, how do, how do you adjust and how do you get back into a normal living after being in so many tours overseas in, in different countries? Well, hey, this is Jocko again. We we definitely had a good long transition. It's not like we came off the battlefield and then 15 minutes later we were living our normal life. We had, you know, you fly back, you spend time with your guys, you talk about what you went through, and then you get back. And, and what you have to do is you have to separate yourself from what went on overseas. And you have to say, you know what, that was there, and this is now, and I'm not going to stay in that mindset all the time. So it can be a tough transition. I think different people handle it a different way. I think, you know, the way we, we got through it is, number one, talking and sharing the lessons that we learned with the younger SEALs, and then trying to, again, detach from what we did overseas and try and live a normal life back, back in the States. Uh, this is and life. Uh, are you, uh, and do the American government support that? Do they give you an assistance and that type of stuff? We get, we get, uh, 
we get plenty of assistance to that, certainly. But, uh, you know, I mean, look, there, there's folks in the military that are disciplined, that are driven. Uh, most most people get out and, and do well and start businesses and and uh, and plug into to, to, to business and life on the outside world, the civilian world. I think for us, for me me and Jocko uh, and many of the guys we serve with, I think, I think honoring those that we lost by telling their stories, by, by passing their legacies on uh, to others. And the lessons learned, as Jocko said, that we brought back is really what it's all about for us. Great. Well done. Awesome to have you on. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Brandon. Now, you guys uh, have fought all over. Who would you say has been your toughest enemy? Which country? Well, I don't know if we would talk about toughest, but let's just talk about evil. Mm. You know, you could look at the look at the people that we fought in Iraq, and like I said, as a pre- pre- predecessor to ISIS, these are evil human beings, certainly as evil as the Nazis were, and certainly as evil as the Imperial Japanese Army. So... I think that in terms of evil, the ISIS and the and the extreme Al Qaeda elements that we went against were as evil as any element that's ever been faced. Do you think that will ever be beaten? Yes. <laughs> it just it takes will. It's a matter of will. It's something we talk yeah. about all the time, right? It's yeah. it's you got you got to have the will to win. And, mm. and I think there there are a lot of people in America when when ISIS started creeping back. Uh, in you know becoming powerful in Syria and then moved back into Iraq, took over huge cities like Mosul. And, and Fallujah, um, and it, it's people were asking like, "Does this? Why does this matter to me?" And we we would explain to them, "It's going to matter to you because that's that ideology is going to uh, proliferate, mm-hmm. and they're going to attack us here at home." Which we had we had multiple attacks inspired by ISIS uh, on the American homeland. So uh, I think people people recognize why that's important, why that's an issue, um, and it's just better for the world. And even when you you talk to the citizens of Iraq, they don't want to live under that kind of brutal reign mm-hmm. of terror. They they want. They want someone to help them uh, rid, you know, rid the world of this. And uh, we got there's plenty of guys out there that are lined up, ready to do that. Where were you? And I want to ask both you guys this question individually. Uh, Leif, 9/11. Where were you? What were you doing when you saw the news? I remember it. I, I can tell you the road I was on, the weather, where I was on that road, the car that I was driving. I remember it like. Like that. Where were you? I was uh, actually stationed on a Navy ship at the time. I had, uh, I, I, I was in San Diego. We were, we were in port, and we were just so tied up to the dock there. And uh, I was on duty, so I'd spent the night on the ship. And uh, I, a guy called me in the morning. Of course, it was, I was on the West Coast, so um, you know, you're three hours difference. And so it was pretty early for us. And, and a guy called me uh, coming in and said, hey, a, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. I'm thinking it was a small aircraft accident or something. So we, we went and turned on the news, and we're watching that in real time as a second plane uh, you know, hit the other tower. It was just, uh, and we knew this is real. This is an attack. We're going to war. Uh, and then I, I had, I had just been picked up, selected for, uh, the SEAL team. So I knew as I, as I went and, and went through that training program that, uh, we better be ready because we'd been viciously attacked. Thousands of innocent Americans were dead and, uh, and we were definitely going to war for sure. Because it was largely at, uh, not entirely peaceful, but there weren't any, uh, declarations of war before then. Yeah, no doubt. We, we called those in the SEAL teams, we called those the dry years when yeah. there was no wars going on. Mm. And so we trained really hard and I had actually been sent from the SEAL teams to go to college when, when September 11th came. And, you know, very similar. I was listening to it on the radio that, that a plane hit the towers, didn't think anything of it, thought it was a little Cessna or something, mm. and then got into class and they pulled it up on the TV and we watched the second, ta- the second uh, aircraft hit and knew at that point that we were going to war. This is it. This is uh, what we've been training for, huh? 
Sure. When you guys go to a place like Iraq, from the outside or from here, it seems like there's a lot of suicide bombing and that sort of thing. How do you defeat an enemy that is not afraid to die? Isn't that like your biggest weapon when fighting against, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, th those are questions that we're asking World War II with like the Japanese kamikazes yeah. and, and those sort of things. And the answer is, look, you, uh, you can absolutely defeat an enemy like that. And they, they, there are those folks who get talked into martyrdom. Uh, and, and these, you know, when Jocko talked about evil, a lot of these suicide bombers, they will talk to special needs kids. You know, or or a woman who's been burned, and they'll say, "Well, you're, you know, you." They're, they're like, "It's all good." Yeah, you, you're not ever going to marry someone, so you just you just go be a suicide bomber. So they prey on the, the most vulnerable people. I mean, it's just evil, evil yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, and and that's that's a real threat. But they, even though they might be uh, obsessed with martyrdom in some capacity, they don't want to be martyred on your terms. So uh, you know, we, okay. mm. I, I could tell you, we. Uh, uh, we helped a lot of those guys uh, go meet their maker, and, uh, and they started looking around and thinking, hey, uh, how, how do I join the Iraqi police because this isn't good for me? Mm. And, and I'll tell you something else. An enemy that wants to die is no match for people that want to live and want to live free. It's no comparison, and we'll win every time. For sure. For sure. Sure, guys, I can talk to you forever. Um, we haven't even got to the reason why you're here. Do you guys have to go anywhere? Do you need to be any place? Uh, we're good. We've got time. We're good. We've we're got here. time. Because there's... We flew to freaking South Africa. I think we got some time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> okay, because um, we... Uh, guys, we have the privilege of listening and speaking to Jocko and Leif. You too can have that privilege uh, which we're going to give you those details in just a moment. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of these. Like, this is one incident, but I can tell you this has happened probably 10,000 times this morning. Guys, there's 1.7 million people listening to us right now. He has one case study. Kim, good morning. Good morning, kid. How, How are you? I'm fine, thank you. What do you want to say to, uh, I, I think it's for life. Huh? Yes, it mm. is for later. Later, I just want to thank you for almost ca causing a car accident. I'm a soccer mom taking my children to school. I heard your voice and I almost slid right off my chair. I couldn't see out the steering wheel. Which is the accelerator. It's shocking. Is that, is that shocking in a good way? <laughs> Outstanding. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, you must understand, you guys are very sexy. After all, you do carry huge phallic symbols around. <laughs> oh, the guns, right. Good. Yes. Sorry, I'm, I was like, what are we talking about? Look, I must just say, guys, I don't know how much, I know you haven't been in the country for 24 hours, but this South African woman are notoriously good looking. We are known for our beauty. Charlize Theron, that's the first example I can give you. Candace Swanepoel. You know Victoria's Secret Angel? It's, yeah, from this town. Okay, Candace is where she from? She's from PE, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But Charlize, from here. Yeah, we're, we're also quite determined and focused when we see what we like. I, I, I'm, I'm hearing that yeah. from the college <laughs> already. That's, uh, that's mm. impressive. Now, the good news is uh, I, I'm glad they can just hear my voice because uh, if they could see me in person, they'd realize that I have the face for radio. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, Liv. I'm going to take a photo. Darren's then. looking at you like, uh, <laughs> like your lunch, bro. <laughs> you know, these guys are really going to leave here with the wrong impression of me. <laughs> You're just a fan. You're a fan. No, I'm a total fan. Yeah. Total, total. I'm like one of those, you know, when you watch 
when you see Justin Bieber and all that fanfare <laughs> that follows him around, I'm that to you. That to you guys. Let's move on. Brad, you're, your question. You're not, okay, firstly, you're not calling the seals Justin Bieber, are you? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> that, that's actually interesting because I'm not sure that Jocko and I would ever call ourselves Justin Bieber. For, uh... You're the Justin Biebers of the military. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, some, if, some, if, if we called each other that, it would be a, a great insult. We'd have to get in a fist fight after that. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I'm, I want to be the Justin Bieber of anything, so <laughs> let's just leave it at that. <laughs> How do you guys feel when you're watching the SEAL experience glorified in movies and things like that? Like recently, there's so many movies that have come out about what it's all from portraying for us what it's like to be in there. What it's like for you guys having been there watching that on, on the screen? Well, you know, you hear that term when they say, say about movies, it's a Hollywood movie. Well, yeah. these movies are Hollywood movies and they yeah. take... You know, they take these stories and they have to take a, a, a complex story that takes place over a long period of time and they have to compress it down into an hour and a half. Yeah. And they got to make it simple enough that the average American audience can look at it and understand it and pay 10 bucks to go see it. So the movies, I, I guess it's good. It's, it's definitely good that the word is getting out there about the sacrifices that are made yeah. by our American servicemen, not just SEALs, obviously, but the, all the soldiers and Marines that are out there doing the same thing. But... You know, as far as the realism of it, they're, they're not that realistic, to, to be quite frank with you. They're just not that realistic. There's a lot of Hollywood. And, and like I said, I, I understand why they do it. They've got to take a complex thing and put it into a very short, digestible moment for people to purchase. And, and I think there's a right way and wrong way to do that. You know, so there's, there's some people who have violated the, the security procedures and not, you know, run their books through the proper clearances. And uh, I think you've you got to be careful not to talk about, you know, uh, specific tactics, techniques, and yeah. procedures and mm. intelligence gathering uh, capability and those sort of things. Yeah. Jocko and I have made sure we, we've tried everything we can to do this the right way, protect all those things. You know, we talk about leadership. We talk about teamwork. And uh, those things that translate, you know, to anywhere in business and life. Uh, and that's, that's really what this is about. Yeah. Guys, we've got a, a question off the, off the WhatsApp telephone, yeah? Two questions. How many recruits do you normally get? And on average, how many fail at the training? And has there ever been a female Navy SEAL? Well, there's an 80% attrition rate in the training. So, you know, 20 out of every 100 will make it. And there's not been any females in the SEAL teams. Is there... I, I read somewhere that the, the reason for that just very much in the special forces is that the man's and, and you know some people would try to portray it as a sexist thing but from what i've read and understand it's absolutely not about that in fact it's a total opposite is that say you guys went into combat your natural instinct would be to protect the lady above all costs and that would be a distraction because you guys operate as a team, but also, you know, I'd imagine you can all look after your own backs. I, I, there may be something to that, but uh, no, look, the, the difference, uh, I, I think there, it's, it's the same reason why you don't have, uh, I mean, why, why is your national rugby team not having any women on it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a physical, it's, it's a 100% physical thing. Mm. And, and I think people need to understand that combat is, you know, our training is hard, physically incredibly hard. Uh, combat is infinitely harder than that. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of great ladies that are serving in, in the military throughout the ranks of the U.S. military. We served with some outstanding lady uh, sailors and, and uh, Marines and soldiers. Um, and uh, if you talk to them, even though they, they when they saw combat and they were in combat, 
you know, if you're like, hey, do you want to be a SEAL? Do you want to carry this big rucksack? Do you want to go on this mission? They say, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Guys, we got to get to news and then we're going to come back with more and we're going to talk about extreme ownership and how you can see these guys. Do we have any tickets to give away? Like a pair of tickets because, oh man, you don't want to miss what these guys are going to teach you. All right, extreme ownership. We'll talk that after the news and uh, we'll take a few more calls too. All right, we're still uh, streaming on Facebook to legend Navy SEALs in studio. We have got Jocko. And we have got Leif, if you've just tuned in. We've had the most fascinating discussion for the past half hour. Let's give them a nice welcome to this hour. Appreciate uh, that. I don't, I don't know about legend. Yeah, legend's uh, a strong word. That's a pretty strong word. <laughs> we're, just, we're just two guys who got a chance to get after it and teach some, teach some lessons learned to others. I understand that. I understand that. But to me, you're legends. <laughs> I appreciate okay, it. So we got one person chalked up there. <laughs> <laughs> did did either of you guys uh, do your service under Admiral McRaven? I did. I worked with him a little bit uh, when he was out on the West Coast, and he was over at the group that's in charge of the SEAL teams on the West Coast. He was there. So I worked with him a bit. Great guy. Because uh, it was about uh, a year ago now, he went viral with a clip. And uh, this is what I'm going to get into with you guys too, extreme ownership. How you can go see that. You can also win some tickets here this morning. But um, he gave a, a, a speech, very, very profound speech, but extremely enlightening too. Just on uh, bettering yourself and applying what you guys do. And that's what your, yours, your talk is about as well. And his point, his first point, it's always stuck with me. And not because I'm a, a Navy SEAL fan, just because I found that it could be applied to everybody. And here is his first point. To me, basic SEAL training was a lifetime of challenges crammed into six months. So here are the 10 lessons I learned from basic SEAL training that hopefully will be of value to you as you move forward in life. Every morning in SEAL training, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks room, and the first thing they'd do was inspect my bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough, battle-hardened SEALs. But the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. I mean, how, how true is that, hey? Eh? Simple task of just making your bed. Yeah, absolutely. And this is kind of a mantra that I live by is discipline equals freedom. And it's the discipline, the daily discipline and everything that you do, waking up early, getting to the gym, getting your workout done, doing simple things like making your bed, following a routine. And when you do that every single day, it actually gives you more freedom in life. And it, classic examples of discipline equals freedom is 
for instance, we all want to have financial freedom, right? Everyone mm. wants to, to have financial freedom, obviously. Sure. Well, how do you get financial freedom? The only way to get financial freedom is to have financial discipline. You know, you got to save your money. You got to work hard. You got to make the right investments. You can't waste money on things that you can't afford. That's how you got to have that discipline in order to get the freedom. It's the same thing with, with free time. Everybody wants to have more free time. Well, how do you have more free time? In order to get more free time, you have to have a more disciplined time management schedule. And you have to stop watching stupid YouTube videos of cats, right? You're talking to me. Two hours doing that. You're talking to me, Yeah, no, you seem like a YouTube addict over there. I'm just guessing. But yeah, how much time are you wasting? So people say, I don't have time to go to the gym in the morning. Yeah, because you spent a a bunch of time watching ridiculous things on YouTube. Don't do it. Shut off the YouTube. Go get your ass in the gym. Do it. Now, Extreme Ownership, it's a New York Times number one bestseller. How U.S. Navy SEALs lead and win. Written by both of you guys. And that's what you're here to do a conference on on the 9th of March, 8.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. Okay, at Monte Cassino. What can we expect here? Leif? We're going to talk about the Battle of Ramadi and the lessons that we learned from that, that battle. You know, lessons like humility, ownership, and teamwork. And that leadership is the most important thing on the battlefield. It's the most important factor in whether a team succeeds or fails. And when we talk about leadership, we're not talking about just the senior guy in charge, but leaders at every level of the organization stepping up and leading. You know, of all the things we wrote about and of all the things that we we talk about in that book, the reason we decided to title the book Extreme Ownership is because it's the foundation upon which everything else is built. It's just an attitude and it's a mindset. And that is Mm -hmm. that there's no one else to blame. There's no excuses. You got to own everything in your world. And not just... Not just the things you're responsible for, but everything that impacts your mission. And if you take that attitude, you're going to run circles around the rest of the world, uh, you know, in business, in life. Mm. So this is, I mean, for CEOs, I mean, you're not going to get this info from an MBA, right? Um, This applies to young, old, whatever, kids. You want to motivate your kids. What would you Mm. say, because I've mentioned a few times on this show, I think I'm not the greatest parent in terms of discipline because I'm that softy, you know? I call, it, I call that weak. <laughs> Jocko's been grinding yeah, me all so morning. Bro. <laughs> if, if, if I had to, how would you say if disciplining a child is different to having discipline as an adult, right? I, I actually don't think difference? it is. And the biggest thing you'll notice with your kids is, because I actually have four kids, believe it or not. <laughs> so the thing is with kids is it's the same thing as anybody that you're trying to lead. You're in a leadership position for your kids. And a lot, a lot of parents think, I'm just going to discipline my kids and tell them, you got to go clean your room. Do it now. And just like any employer, anybody that works for you, that doesn't make you say, oh, this makes me feel great about going to my cleaner, mm. clean my room. I'm going to go do it right now. No, mm. what you want to do with a kid or with an employee or someone you're working with is you want to explain to them why they're doing what they're doing. You want to explain to them what the purpose is. Because if you tell your kid, right, I live in California. Everybody in California wear, rides a skateboard around. If I want my kid to wear a helmet when he's riding a skateboard, if I just say, hey, wear, wear, wear your helmet when you're riding your skateboard, is he going to do it? Of course, he might do it while I'm standing right yeah. there mm. because he's not that stupid. But <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, as soon as, as soon as he skateboards around the corner, he's going to take off his helmet. He's going to throw it down. He's going to and he's going to go and hang out with his friends and skateboard without a helmet on. Yeah. Well, imagine if instead of me just giving him an order, 
I said, hey, son, I want you to wear a helmet when you skateboard, and here's why. And I, and I took him to a hospital, and I, and I introduced him to a couple kids that had fallen off their skateboard, banged their head, gotten a major brain damage, and are sitting there drooling on themselves, and mm. said, this is what happens when you don't wear a helmet. This is why I want you to wear a helmet. Mm. that's the difference between imposed discipline where I'm just telling you what you're doing. You're going to listen to me because I'm in charge or I'm your dad and, and I, I make the rules and actually being a true leader, which is something I think you need to work over on over there. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I, uh, my son, he's four years old. He wanted to go ride his bike, but on the BMX track. So I was like, okay, look, we got to do this. We're going to do this, but what we need to do, we need to go and get you. He had a helmet, but I needed to get you arm, arm pa- uh, elbow pads and knee pads. Mm. So on the way to the bike track, I pull into uh, a game store, which is a, a, a store here that sells those sorts of things. It's after Christmas. They've sold out of all the pads. I found one set of pads, but they're pink ones. It is for girls, all right? So... We get to the bike track. I say, okay, boy, we're putting these on now. He looks at them and says, dad, these are girls' pads. These are pink pads. I'm not wearing them. Now I'm stuck with a dilemma. He he's, doesn't want to feel embarrassed by wearing pink pads. And Darren, that's I why you should carry a can of spray paint with you at all times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just put a little camo on them. Now you're good to go. <laughs> Look, I, I think it's it, what you're talking about is, is a lot of people have that misconception in the military, right? That yeah. you're... You know, if, if I, I'm going to order you to do things and, and that's just, that doesn't work anywhere. It yeah. doesn't work in the military. Uh, no, good leaders don't, don't lead like that. And, and, and good parents, uh, are not going to be effective because if your kids, anything like, like my kids, I got two kids. Um, and, uh, and while they're still young, I can even see my son already this, if I tell him do this, I, I can see that resistance in his eyes. He's looking like just that it's like the test of wills. And I know Jocko's got uh, some strong will kids as well, right? So they, they may do the opposite if I'm trying to order them to do something, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the goal is like, how do I get them to do what I need them to do? Yeah. You know, and and mm-hmm. if you think about it in that, in that way, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit different. But that's, I mean, for us, so many people that think, well, how does combat leadership apply to me, you know, in parenting or in the business world, or leading my team at, at my company or uh, in my school or my sports team or whatever it may be. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're, combat leadership is about getting a diverse group of people to work together, mutually support one another in order to accomplish a mission. And that applies anywhere. It's, it's, another thing here is like when you talk about taking care of your kids or taking care of your people, same thing. In a leadership position, people think, oh, I'm going to take care of my people. And so that means they're going to let them go home early, let them slack off, let them cut corners because then they're the nice guy. Then they're the, the, the friendly boss. Mm. Well, are you truly taking care of them? Because the fact of the matter is, if you're not making them work hard, they're not going to make money. They're not going to get raises. They're not going to perform. They're not going to learn. They're not going to advance. So even though you feel like you're taking care of them, you're not actually taking care of them. And it's the same thing with your kid. If you're just coddling your kid all the time and giving them everything they want you feel like you're taking care of them you feel good about it darren but guess what <laughs> you're actually you're actually making him into a to a person that's not gonna be able to step up you're stand right. up for himself and get after it you're right you're absolutely right yeah. so i'm gonna come maybe spend a couple of weeks with your boy we'll get him hardened up oh, no, <laughs> he would love to meet you guys seriously because awesome. he's a navy seal in training too um and we had a, a thing here which was uh Everybody, when they finished school, they needed to go for a, a two-year compulsory um, military service. And uh, the country changed and there's, you know. But what I've heard from many people that, because I would love to have done it purely for the, for the military aspect of it, 
but that all ended when I was when I finished school. And you see a lot of parents talk about sons that, like my brother went and I didn't have to go. He was older than me. And they say you can see the difference between the two. The that, one who's had military training. That's got to hurt, doesn't it, Derek? No, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you hear a lot of parents saying, I wish that was still there because it kind of seems as if they're going to do that discipline training and that, say, world readiness for that child that they could never do. So I think you guys get a grounding that we could never even dream of. There's there's out, outstanding things that you learn in the military, and that's one of them that that discipline, right? The mm. teamwork, the leadership. We're you know at a very young age, you're put in charge of uh, a, a whole bunch of expensive equipment and and people, and trying to lead people with who have you know unlike this this misconception that so many people have based on movies or TV shows about the SEALs or, or military in general. People aren't robots. They're not Terminator robots, right? They're people, and they've got egos, and they've got perspectives, and they've got their own agendas, and they've got their their way of, you know, they want to do things. And so that leadership is incredibly, it's incredibly challenging to try to lead a group of people with all that, particularly when you're asking them to go do something that may, you know, put really put their life on the line. So, um, you know, it, it's that that military experience is outstanding, and you know, it's, it's a very small percentage in America that's actually serving in the military as well. Mm. Uh, but you know, so so often you hear about the you hear about the vets that are having trouble transitioning, and all these kind of statistics that are thrown out. You know, most of the the, the guys we served with are they're doing well. You know, they're people that are contributing members of society that are leading their families, that are leading a team, that are you know starting businesses or are, are working in a business and doing well. And, uh, you know, that's, it's, uh, I think military experience is great for anyone, but you can, you can get that discipline anytime, whether you serve mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. it just, it's a decision. The discipline is a decision. You, know, you can look at somebody like Jocko and say, well, it's easy for him to get up at four 30 in the morning. And the answer is it's not easy for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he talks about it's, it's the alarm clock going off. It's a hammer hitting you in the head, right? It's, yeah. it's not easy for anybody. It's, it's hard uh, for anybody, but it's a decision that you make to, to, to get up and, and, you know, and, and work out early and, and all, everything that you do in your life, uh, if you can impose that discipline on yourself, um, you're going to have the freedom to succeed at the highest level. Guys, are you feeling motivated? Absolutely. I'm feeling very motivated. Yeah. Imagine uh, listening to these guys from 8.30 to 3. Yes. Tomorrow. Hey? I'm glad you guys are feeling motivated because we brought the telephone poles. We're going to do a little, uh, little workout here. <laughs> yeah. <in the> studio. <laughs> you guys are ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. It, it sounds a lot about empowering people, even when you talk about disciplining children. It's not about you follow my rules. It's empowering them to make those decisions in life for themselves. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then what you breed in a person like that is you get them to take ownership, right? Ownership. So many people yeah. in the world right now, when something doesn't work out for them, not my fault. You know, yeah. oh, the market was bad. It yeah. was their fault. This person did this to me. They blame everybody else. And guess what? When you're blaming everybody else for, for when things go wrong, what are you going to do to change and fix it and make it better? So it starts with saying, you know what? This is my fault. I'm going to own this. And when you say that, then you can go out and fix it and change it yeah. and get it, get it right. Got a question here from Magnus. How's it, Magnus? How's it, guys? How's it? You're on with uh, Leif and Jocker. What's going on, Magnus? Yeah, well, welcome to South Africa. Um, Appreciate it. You guys here. The weather's a lot better than it was a week ago. You can ask like half the country about it. It's all over Facebook. Um, but yeah, look, my question actually asked about half an hour ago, but uh, it's, it's changing the, the topic a little bit. But you, know, you guys are talking about competition and you know being competitive and all of that. And I had a really basic question: is just to know who can bench press more. 
<laughs> I, I, I definitely have to give that to Jocko for sure. If, if you could see the difference, uh, you know, it's probably hard to tell this on the radio, but uh, yeah, jo- Jocko is, uh, it's probably got me by about 40 pounds or so. He's, uh, and he's probably got me on the bench press by uh, a couple hundred pounds or so. Yeah, wow. fortunately uh, for, for life and definitely for our teams, you know, the physical attributes that we have aren't the most important thing. The most important thing is what you can do mentally. Part of that is discipline. And you get yourself in good shape and, and you work together as a team. And that's what it is. So the physical stuff is, is definitely important, but it's not what we rest our laurels on for sure. And one, yeah, one, of, the, one of the things in our training is that you, you, uh, you, you don't have to be, you know, there's some outstanding athletes that go through buds, right, that are going through SEAL training. Um, outstanding, you know, top level collegiate swimmers and professionally sponsored triathletes who are great runners and, and things like that. And, and I wouldn't any of those things, right? But, but you just got to be tough. You got to be able to put out hard uh, and, and give it 100% all the time. Um, and if you do that, you'll, you'll do well. Uh, thanks, Magnus. All right, thank you. Who would you say uh, second best to the Navy SEALs? Uh, Take Delta Force out of it. Worldwide, who would you say is the best, second best, tier one spec ops? Group? Look, I I think there's all these kind of comparisons that I, to me that that's that's peacetime stuff, right? That's mm-hmm. peacetime stuff. There was a lot more of that I think going on the peacetime. I think now when you talk about guys who've actually served in combat and you've served alongside Rangers and we served alongside uh, armored units, you know the the soldiers that are driving the tanks or served alongside Marine infantry units. Those guys are outstanding. They're mm-hmm. outstanding. And they got a little bit different training than us. And, uh, you know, while we have a, a, something called Hell Week, you know, in our training, that's, that's a great, great piece of our training. And uh, we have outstanding guys. Um, we take pride and in, in, in have uh, a, lot of, uh, a, lot, a lot of pride in the legacy and history of the SEAL teams and what, what our units are able to do. The, these units we work alongside are outstanding. And, and there's um, a number of units that, uh, you know, the guys that worked with that, uh, that you know, through, throughout NATO and, um, you know, some of the, uh, like, Polish Grom was pretty active with SEALs in Iraq, outstanding group. I mean, there's, there's uh, British SAS or Aussie SAS. There, there's, uh, um, there's amazing groups all over the world that are doing great things. You know, maybe have, there, there's, there's great people in those units. Uh, you know, there's not so great people in any of those units, including yeah. the SEAL teams. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is uh, we're, all, we're all fighting the same mission. And uh, I think the comparisons of, like, we're better than, than you is, that's just people that have never done anything. Yeah, yeah. Leif and Jocko, you guys talk about the fact that, you know, people are just people and you guys are obviously just human. So I need to find out what is your Achilles heel or what is the thing that makes you squirm? Is there anything that you won't touch or eat or is it a mouse? Is it a snake? Do you not like mushrooms? What is your human Achilles heel? I actually am a really really a wimp when it comes to eating food. I grew up, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, and so we ate the same thing all the time in my family, and I just didn't develop a really good palate, so I don't like to eat much of anything besides steak and steak, and then I also have some steak sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> in those, uh, we call them, uh, our arm used to call them rat packs, uh, your ration packs, your daily thing. What is, <laughs> how good is that stuff? Look, it's uh, when you're talking about food in particular, we call them uh, meals ready to eat or MREs. Um, and the reality is uh, when you're hungry, man, that stuff tastes like a five-star restaurant. It's un- <laughs> you know, unbelievable. So, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, 
you know, if you're going to compare that against what you're going to get at, you know, uh, at home, nice home cooked meal, yeah, it's terrible. But it's it's all relative. And if you've, you know, if you're going to be eating grub worms or cockroaches uh, uh, as an alternative to, uh, to to what you get in the meal ready to eat, it's it's great stuff. Did you yeah. ever like out the out in the desert, Ramadi, and uh, you see this goat walk past, and you haven't had like real <laughs> real meat for for a month, and you go. I'm going to put a bullet through this goat, and we're all having goat meat tonight. Uh, we have not done that. <laughs> However, uh, our Iraqi soldiers, we worked pretty closely with some Iraqi soldiers, and uh, they didn't get uh, a lot to eat. Um, they were pretty, uh, you know, they didn't, didn't quite have the, the budget and the chow hall that, you know, that, that we had. And um, we uh, we actually purchased a goat for them, and, uh, and, and they slaughtered it and had a big feast as like a celebration of one of their guys that was killed. Uh, and that was a big deal for them. So happy uh-huh. to contribute that. Okay, well, winning hearts and minds all over the world in South Africa too. Guys, tomorrow it is on the Extreme Ownership Conference from 8.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. You can get your tickets now. There aren't many left uh, from CompuTicket. Um, we have got... ExtremeOwnership.co.za uh, ExtremeOwnership.co.za You can get your tickets there. All right, ExtremeOwnership.co.za We have got eight tickets to give away. You want them? Sure. Just text us right now, 32947. Just name me both the Navy SEALs in the studio this morning. Just their first names is fine. And look, do whatever you can to move things around. It's short notice. Get off work tomorrow. CEOs, whoever, get there. I'll be there as well. I can't wait. Guys, I absolutely can't wait. Thank you very much for coming into studio this morning. It's... uh, it's been the greatest opportunity to interview you guys, not just for what you do, but you both seem like incredible human beings too. Thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Darren. Thank L- you. Ladies and gents, Jocko and Leif. Yes! yes!